if you're offsetting 20% of every electric vehicle's need with free, quote unquote, solar power, if you had an option to buy an electric vehicle with or without solar charging, every single consumer I've talked to that has electric vehicles said, yeah, I would pay an extra $1,000, maybe 2000 for that, because they see that every day it's going to make them a dollar in electricity. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangen, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm excited to have Josh Sunshine Hill on the podcast. And it's amazing to hear Josh's story. He actually has a project that he calls Project Griff or Griffin, where he's actually driving a solar powered electrical vehicle across the country. And I think you're the first person to ever do that as well. So Josh, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you listening and reaching out to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be on the Solar Maverick podcast. <laughs> I've, I've perused a lot of the content for a while and you make a great resource for people in the solar industry and the public in general. I've been enjoying your content as well on YouTube, You know, basically documenting your experience and why. I think it would be really helpful actually if you could talk about Project Griffin and your passion for solar energy and also your experience as well in solar. I know that's like multiple questions. Right, I can handle that one, I think, or those couples. So I grew up, you know, on a small farm in North Central Florida. And funny thing is, as a kid, you know, I started to realize how everything works and asking a lot of questions and everything we grow needs sunshine, needs sunlight for energy. You know, humanity is solar powered. And after college, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I wandered around for a while and found job listings for solar consultants. So I applied and I've been working in the solar industry ever since. And after a number of years in the industry, I had run over a thousand appointments. I eventually had graduated to being a commercial consultant, working business to business in the Idaho market. And a lot of people don't realize it, but Idaho is a great state for solar. It's high desert. We actually get more average sunshine than parts of Texas and uh, wow. most of Florida on average. Yeah. So less rain. And, you know, I was getting a little burnt out at the job and started thinking of different ways to apply solar to our lives and kept coming back to the question of why electric vehicles very rarely or almost none of them have integrated solar to charge them. And the average person, let's say if they drive a Tesla or a Nissan Leaf, they'll drive to work. It sits in a parking lot and they come out and they drive it home. And maybe their round trip total is 20 miles and it's set in the sun for eight hours and all that energy. It just mm -hmm. as a someone who's in the solar industry, you start seeing sunlight as energy and dollars. And I'm like, that's wasted money. We need to have roofs <laughs> on our cars that are solar, not just our homes and businesses. And I started asking around at conventions, you know, why isn't this being done and not really getting good answers. So that's when I kind of, you know, the light bulb went off, I had the idea, why don't I just build a vehicle that runs on only solar power and see how far I can go, see what the limitations are, see if it can be done and see if I can travel across the country on only solar, not spend a dime on gas or diesel. And yeah, that was how Project Griffin was born or Griff for short. And I want to take it farther and do more. But you know, I ran the numbers and started building it in late 2019 and spring of this year, 2020, getting the last pieces together and then started the journey this summer. That's amazing. I know I asked you about this in the pre-interview. You reached out to the Guinness Book of mm -hmm. World Records and they don't have actually a category for this because you're like the first person ever to do right. this, right? And I did some research before I did it. I was probably going to do it anyway. I mean, as far as building the vehicle, but I wouldn't have tried to go across the country if it had already been done. It was one of those things where, wow, it would be really cool to do a first with solar. Sure. And I did a lot of research and there's a young couple in France who have a vehicle. I think it's an old van that puts solar 
solar on the roof and they made it a conversion to be electric. And then they also pull a trailer with extra solar panels. There's a gentleman who was going north to south in a solar powered vehicle. That was the only one here in the North America. And he had some problems and, you know, things broke. And as far as I know, going across America, I will be the first or have been the first now that I've actually completed the journey. So kind of fast forward to the end. Yeah, it was a long trip, but went all the way from the California coast across the country. And here I am in Florida. You basically took a Smith electric vehicle, basically a truck, and then you put solar panels on the truck. Can you talk about how you did that? Obviously, like this is an audio podcast, so you obviously had it on the roof, but can you talk about how you had the two things on the side to extend? Mm -hmm. Because you're basically charging during the day, and then is that driving during the night? Is that how? Correct. Yeah, I can drive during the day as well, but because we're audio, I'll try my best to describe it. But also folks can go to Awaken Solar on Instagram or YouTube and see, you know, pictures or even Facebook and get a real visual. But if you imagine a UPS or FedEx delivery box truck, Smith Electric moved their headquarters from Britain to the US in, I believe, 2008 and built these trucks 2009 and 10. And a few hundred were built. It was really ahead of its time, all electric. So it's a classic box truck, delivery truck that was all electric. It was in service for five years in California for a bakery delivering bread. And I originally was going to do a conversion and that would have been a lot more work. And it was something I was going to have to learn a whole lot about to do the conversion and then build the solar charging because I was more familiar with how to do the solar, but not how to take an internal combustion engine vehicle and convert it. Wouldn't imagine it'd be that hard. I've seen a lot of people that have done that. It looks really cool. They'll take a hot rod, Mm -hmm. make it an electric hot rod. (laughs) And um, yeah, so this box truck, the roof is simple enough, you know, just putting panels on the roof, building a custom application to secure those panels on the roof. And then to get the amount of power to charge fully each day, I needed the sides to be solar as well. Well, And so you can imagine when I'm going down the road, the sides are basically 72 cell commercial solar panels and they will fold out so that they're flat and the sky every time I park. So that's why I generally would drive early in the morning or late in the evening after the sun had gone down, which is convenient as well because they're movable. I would manually track the sun across the sky. Um, (laughs) If people have seen those automatic tracker units, I didn't have the money to build an automatic tracker. So it was me manually like in the morning, one side is halfway up and then in mid day, both sides are all the way up and then the reverse in the evening so that I'm getting the maximum gain. And I was netting over 50,000 watts, over 50 kilowatts some days. So quite a bit of power. If you convert that to power a normal size electric vehicle, I mean, that's a full charge in two, you know, small normal electric vehicles. Sure. And then what was the capacity of the battery? Like how many miles could you drive? So let me kind of go back to finding, you know, going from the plan was converting a school bus or something similar and putting a lot of solar panels on it after I converted to electric, I found the electric vehicles, which were built in Kansas City, by the way. Uh, Yeah. And I found that. And so I said, wow, that solves half of my labor. So I found these vehicles. They're 10 years old and they are all lithium ion batteries. Each vehicle had 80 kilowatt hours of batteries. And there were four. I bought the best one for what I was going to do and build Project Griffin. Then I bought a second one, which was broken. I think the CPU had fried. They said, you know, we're not repairing these. They're basically out of service. The company's not fixing them. And so I got a really good deal on a second. So I bought two trucks and I took the batteries out of the second truck and put them inside the box of the first. Oh, interesting. Imagine I doubled my battery capacity and then I also had some extra backup lithium ion batteries. So all total, I had just under 200 kilowatt hours of battery. Wow. 
which made my range, you know, 100 to 150 miles, maybe 200. To be honest, I still haven't pushed the range because the batteries are 10 years old. And again, this was the scariest thing in the beginning, starting this project, putting all this time and effort into it and having no idea if a week in my battery is going to fail because they're 10 year old lithium ion batteries. And in the 2008, nine or 10, the manufacturing isn't as good as it was now. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but they're still working. Thing that I learned is that there are systems that are 20, 25, 30 years old, still working perfectly. They're not producing what they were in the first year. And I wasn't sure how far my batteries would go. But long story short, I was, I babied the system. I would go 30 miles, 50 miles some days sure. and not to go hundred because if you drain your batteries, if you flatten them out, it's actually going to hurt them. You want to keep them close to 50% or as fully charged as you can, and they'll have a longer lifespan. So, you know, until I made it to Florida, I was going to take my time <laughs> and try to go, well, let's see if I can get 200 miles in one day. And I haven't done that because, you know, I don't want to flatten the batteries out and have them not come back and then be stranded. But now I guess I could do a little more torture testing. Yes. And then how long did it take to drive from California to Florida? I hit an amazing amount of delays, some personal things. I had to stop at one point and travel for some business and take care of some things and leave the truck parked. But it took all summer. It was three months. Let's say I had new batteries. I believe you could do it in less than a month in just a few weeks. I'm going to go back through the data that I collected and all the numbers. And as I said, the kilowatt hours that I got each day and say, all right, if I were to just try to do this in August, what would my efficiency need to be if I'm harnessed 400 kilowatt hours? How many miles per kilowatt hour would I need in a vehicle to do it in a shorter amount of time? And that's what I want to see happen. You know, this industry evolve to be able to have people doing these, you know, time trials with solar charging. I think it would be really fun. Yeah, that would be really fun. You're a pioneer in this and it's pretty amazing to hear your story. And then obviously you weren't staying in the truck, would get a hotel, Correct. basically sleep there. Yeah. So that was another huge delay. I did have to stay inside the truck. When I was in East Texas going into Louisiana, I hit that area right after Hurricane Laura. And coming into Lake Charles, I mean, the devastation there, it was incredibly bad. You know, basically it looked like about 50% of roofs were damaged, mm -hmm. missing, you know, buildings that had been blown over, homes wrecked. And so what had happened was everyone had evacuated and gone to hotels. So around the Houston area, I wasn't even able to get a hotel. There were no bookings. I oh, multiple wow. times over a few days there, you know, not only was I delayed with weather and the hurricanes because I was still able to charge, but about 20 to 50% of a normal day with a cloudy day. <laughs> Learned to stay in the truck. I bought some extra supplies in Texas, I bought a little freezer. So from halfway across the journey till the end, I had ice inside the truck. No matter what, working on solar power, I had a freezer, my laptop, you know, everything that I put inside for some amenities was completely solar powered. So I like to also say I'm the first person to have a sustainable business that was 100% solar powered, you know, this year. That's true. That's a great point. That's pretty amazing. I mean, that in itself, you could give a course about. Right. You know, I understand the cost efficiency. And, you know, when people ask how much did my truck cost, I honestly haven't added up the numbers exactly. And it would also depend on what I paid myself for labor, if anything. Sure. But the number is less than six figures. And I want to say it's, you know, somewhere between 40 to 60,000 total, maybe even less once I added up everything. You know, the batteries are the most expensive part. And again, what Tesla's doing, and now that we have all of these companies racing for more more efficient battery technology, we've got some of our best and brightest minds across the world working on making batteries more efficient and more cost effective. And that is going to, again, just revolutionize the ability to use this technology, not only electric vehicles, but solar charging and storage to make solar that much more available day and night. Yeah, this is like a really interesting point that you mentioned to me and you talked about a little bit earlier is why isn't solar charging more incorporated into electric vehicles today? The best answer I have gotten is 
they kind of just say it's not worth it yet. And what they mean is that the surface area on a normal car, if you take the hood, the roof and the trunk and you make them solar with the current efficiency without using a really expensive, you know, solar panel and cell technology, you could fit up roughly a kilowatt of solar on the car, maybe 1.5. And that would net you per day a few kilowatt hours of power, 4,000, let's say, watts, which, you know, may get you 10, 15 miles. So it might be a 10% charge, maybe 20% if you use more efficient cells in an, an average EV. And I think what the barrier in the engineers and car manufacturers' minds is that it's not worth it to just get 10 or 20% of a charge from solar. But if you crunch the numbers and look at the cost to integrate that from the factory, it's very much worth it, in my opinion. I mean, you're saving as we add in more electric vehicles, the cost of electricity is going to continue to go up because demand goes up, basic economics. And if you're offsetting 20% of every electric vehicle's need with free, quote unquote, solar power, if you had an option to buy an electric vehicle with or without solar charging, every single consumer I've talked to that has electric vehicles said, yeah, I would pay an extra $1,000, maybe 2000 for that, because they see that every day it's going to make them a dollar in electricity and potentially never having to plug into the grid. And I want to quickly segue into some of the benefits of why, once I thought of the idea of Project Griffin, why I think this is an ongoing project for me and a calling, because the benefits are just so amazing to have an electric vehicle that charges itself. I mean, you have the closest thing to a perpetual motion machine as humanity mm-hmm. has yet, right? Definitely. You're, when you start to look at the numbers of a car, it's average of its lifespan, 95% of it is parked, right? And so <laughs> yeah. if that 95% of it is parked, it's actually generating power every second of sunny days. You know, let's say 40% of its life then would be generating power. And that's a mini power plant. The battery is a storage unit. So you have emergency power. So again, in like Louisiana, where I drove through and saw this devastation, all of these homes without power, all of these businesses without power. If you had enough vehicles like my truck, you know, let's say even just four or five in a fleet for a normal business, they could power the business and it could stay operational. You know, it wouldn't. So I remember driving by a processing plant and the stench was, I mean, I almost threw up. I tried to drive faster and roll the windows up because it smelled so bad because all that food had spoiled. They had to evacuate and everything in that plant because the power was out spoiled. So if you had a few trucks, even if it costs a lot and it kept all that food from perishing, you know, there's a huge benefit there. Powering hospitals, schools, you know, we have generators, but having mobile generators with technology we're already adopting of electric vehicles that can charge themselves. I mean, can you think of other things that they can do? Really, I want to ask that question to people so that we can start demanding that, yeah, we need to be doing this. Yeah, that's a great point, Joshua. I never even thought about that. What about, I know you've dealt with this before with selling solar, especially residential homeowners, like they don't like the look of panels on their roof. Could that be as well with cars? If you have like a traditional panel or panels, maybe that's another concern that the car manufacturers have, not just like the economic saving, but from a cosmetic perspective. For sure. I mean, in my experience, that's more of one of those, I'm just looking reactions versus I really don't like the way solar panels look. Let's imagine that solar panels were a normal building material instead of shingles. The way that they look when they're installed isn't that different from shingles. When you have panels, you know, buttressed right against each other, it's this smooth, sleek, you know, newer panels as well, triple black modules are very, very inconspicuous. Older solar panels, I think that's what people imagine. The average person 
which is, again, another reason that I want Project Griffin to be more educational is to show people firsthand some of the newer technology, the newer modules, how aesthetically pleasing they're look. I remember two years ago at Solar Power International, the big convention, there was a module that when I saw it, I said, we need to be offering that because it was just so different. And it was so much better looking than anything else for a big square mm-hmm. module. It was Solaria. Solaria's sure panel, I mean, there. it's just flat black. You can't see any wires and lines. So the coloring, even if you look really closely once it's on a roof, I mean, it looks as sleek as any shingle, if not more so. And then you've got the solar tiles coming out, which they're not as cost effective. But yeah, I think if you're looking at cars and saying, well, maybe I won't like the look of it. I think if you saw a car that had high quality, aesthetically pleasing solar built into it, and then one that didn't, I mean, aside from it being a darker color, you know, if maybe you wanted a yellow car, like hood needs to be yellow or I don't (laughs) want it. I don't see it being as big of a challenge because again, the benefits and your car can be making money. If we can pioneer vehicle to grid in America, where your vehicle can plug into your home and plug into the grid, as I say, when your car is parked, those kilowatts, if the car is full, they could be going into the grid and banking money, you know, kilowatt hours with your power bill. We know we're going to see that going forward, but I think it's going to happen pretty quickly. You've talked with so many more people than I have with your podcast on these kind of things, projecting. What do you think is the future of vehicle to grid and some timelines on seeing this kind of thing? I look at it and I say, look, I did it. We can make it happen next year. But (laughs) realistically, I know that's not going to happen. So what is your expert opinion, you know, and from some of the experts you've spoken to on those timelines? Yeah, so I think the challenge with the vehicle to grid is really having the utilities on board with doing that and coming up with the compensation structure you know, that's fair for all parties. So I think that's like the biggest part of it because I think you're going to see a lot more of people wanting to do it, especially in the next three to five years where I believe like EVs are going to decrease substantially in price. That could be that opportunity. But I think you're probably talking something longer than that, maybe like 10 to 15 years really to get like, And I think certain states are going to be more progressive. As we've seen, California has kind of really led the clean energy revolution. And then a lot of states take that legislation and then kind of use it for that state. But I think it's going to be huge because at the end of the day, like the grid of the future has to be smart, has to be flexible, obviously Mm -hmm. resilient, and it has to be adaptive, which is not really like that today. But it's changing because you're having so much intermittent power like solar coming online. So be interesting to see. Yeah, we could have a whole series of podcasts on those topics that you just mentioned, because historically what you've seen happen in different markets, I've been involved with some of those hearings and trying to get people more aware of you know, their energy rights, their ability to go solar and how in some places it's you know up for grabs and being attacked. There are organizations being formed on both sides of it's really is a fight in these hearings. And the vast majority of what I have seen from testimony is people are generally very much for this. They see these benefits that I'm mentioning. And you mentioned reliability and even security. So if you have a centralized grid with one power plant, you know, powering a region and it goes out. We saw this in 2003 in the Northeast in Canada. And I believe that was caused by a software glitch. You know, it was a massive blackout that cost billions of dollars because it rolled, you know, a domino effect. And if you have a decentralized grid and you have backup power on enough locations, you know, a blackout turns into a brownout. I want to see that happen as soon as possible because it literally saves lives as well. Two years ago, the fire in California, the articles and information I read when they did the investigation was caused by an old power line, an old transmission line, started a fire, killed almost 100 people. 
Yeah, I mean, that is like so true what you're saying. And the other thing too is now with software, the US is concerned, obviously, of other countries corrupting like the system and then being decentralized will obviously help with that. And, you know, there's the bulk power systems order that like the Trump administration is trying to with, you know, certain components of the grid, if it's built by certain countries that potentially not to use that equipment. So it's interesting because it's something that's, I think it's not talked about that much publicly, but it's a huge concern that the vulnerability of the US transmission and distribution network. Some of my research on this topic or just electricity in general, I'm always trying to stay up to date on what's happening. And if you talk to a lot of or in some of the interviews I heard with military, they are saying this is the number one issue, our security with the grid, because that's where, you know, we're so vulnerable in some places, you know, not only the economic devastation, but lives. If power stays out for a long time, it's devastating. And so solar is just one of the key tools to making that decentralized, reliable, resilient grid of the future. And yeah, I can't wait. But if someone owns a vehicle and own solar, your problems are solved. You can have power when the sun is out and even on cloudy days. I wonder how much of an effect where people live will have on the adoption of this because it's been so interesting to me. And again, this might be something you know quite a bit about is that certain states that you don't necessarily think are sunny are really trying to push solar. Oregon comes to mind and Minnesota, Mm -hmm. you know, and parts of New England. And when I was planning my trip, I wanted to stay as far south as possible to get as many hours of sun as possible. So in the summertime, it's not really a big deal. But in the wintertime, solar in the northern parts of America and the world, right, are first world countries. And I saw on a vacation in Wales way more solar than I thought I would. (laughs) It's, you know, legendarily cloudy in Wales and Scotland. And I see a lot of solar and I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. But I wonder how that is going to progress, you know, once some of those incentives go away from the government. As a leading authority in the solar industry, life gets very busy. In addition to traveling the world as a speaker and for my entrepreneurial ventures, I'm a son, friend, investor, and entrepreneur. And when it comes to delivering a great sounding show for my listeners, I choose Podcast Laundry. All I have to do is record and send and the rest is done. They do the dirty work of podcasting for me. Yes, social media graphics, quotes, show notes, master editing, and much more. All I have to do is record. So if you're a busy podcaster like me with an engaged audience and want to free up your time to do more of what you love like going to the gym or spending time with loved ones go to podcastlaundry.com to schedule your consultation or call 347-871-8273 that's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273 Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think what we've been seeing is, you know, like the Northeast, you mentioned like Massachusetts, they have high electricity costs, even though their solar irradiance is lower. You obviously have a lot of high energy. And then the other thing too is like they're more environmentally concerned maybe than other states. So they've passed great state level incentives to make solar happen in Massachusetts. So that's why you see that I feel like in Europe and, you know, Florida is obviously the sunshine state, but it actually has pretty low energy costs. There's no state level incentives. The PPA, the power purchase agreement is illegal as well. So that creates like challenges. But I think in all 50 states, eventually, as the costs decrease with solar and the capacities increase, you know, you'll need less state level incentives to make it happen or incentives just in general. I think states have led the way for more development of renewable energy in the US at least. For sure. And I think that as you see, like we're talking about, you know, the cost of electric vehicles, the cost of batteries and solar really start to get more competitive, 
more cost efficient than grid power in a lot of places, that adoption is just going to go up regardless of, let's say, the sunniness of the area. And I want to get back to what we mentioned with the California law kind of mandating electric vehicles. I haven't read it yet, but again, Project Griffin, one of the reasons I built it, I like to say it's the world's first portable microgrid because I can power one, maybe two houses with the power that I make each day if I just park it in the driveway. And I think that's the future of electric vehicles potential. And I think California mandating that, I have mixed feelings on it because I'm sort of farmer principles. You shouldn't have to force me to do anything. I think what you had just said, that's what made me think of it is that we're going to have a really cost-effective electric vehicle very soon. If what Tesla has pioneered continues, you will see electric vehicles that have way more features as far as self-driving, autopilot, and you can turn that off if you don't want that, I think, (laughs) be cheaper than an internal combustion engine. So once you see that inflection point hit to where an electric vehicle is cheaper than the equivalent internal combustion engine, I don't think the adoption laws are going to matter at all. I think you're going to see Texas and Florida and Mississippi or anywhere start to adopt electric vehicles because they're just going to make way more fiscal sense to the consumer. Yeah. And then obviously using, you know, electricity versus oil, it's a lot cheaper as well, like just even factoring that piece of it. So, I mean, that's pretty interesting. You know, I was listening to your YouTube video on the Tesla, you know, battery day. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, he mentioned that there's going to be a car hopefully in three years that's at $25,000. Right. Which I don't think is that far away. And that's pretty, I think, a reasonable price. And that's just three years away. So like 15 years for California, the way we're seeing the decrease in like battery cost. I think it's going to be, you know, a lot cheaper than that. Right. What, what's going to happen in our lifetimes over the next three years, five years, 15 years? I'm just so excited. That's one of the reasons I knew a few years back, like this industry is newer, but I can see that it's the future. And to be honest, I've had people on social media, kind of the knee jerk arguments that they've heard about, like you said, solar panels don't look that good or, oh, you can't even recycle those. Like that's the 80s and 90s solar panels, fully recyclable, even batteries today. As Tesla said, that was a big point that I don't think I talked enough about in my video even was that they were talking about recycling the battery is going to make more fiscal sense than making a new one because the cost of mining the materials and the materials you get versus a 10 or 20 year old battery is going to have more of the materials that were rare to begin with and expensive. And because we need less of those with this new technology, your one recycled battery, let's say with maybe the cobalt, can make 10 new batteries. And that's one of the things that recycling by and large for a lot of materials such as plastic has been missing is, you know, it's cheaper to build a new one than recycle an old one. But batteries are not going to be in that family and just enormous to me. And the fact that we can use lithium, silica, some of the most abundant materials on earth and get that cost, you know, 50% of what it is today in a few years, which isn't to say don't go solar now, because <laughs> as I always tell people, you're losing all the value of having it over the next few years and the future is uncertain. You know, maybe prices don't go down as much. I hope they do, but invested into my project. I know we had talked about that before, how I funded it. I bootstrapped the whole thing. I've always done that since I was a little kid working on the farm. My dad paid me, you know, below minimum wage. It's like a (laughs) five or six, seven year old working, doing little things that I could do, pay me a dollar an hour. And I would always save up all of my money. So working in solar for a few years, I saved up as much as I could because it was always just nice having this, you know, nest egg and savings. And then when I thought of the idea, I was like, well, I could buy a Tesla or I could build this crazy truck with my money and bootstrap built the whole thing. And it was, I hope I can turn it, pivot it into a business success. That's kind of, you know, the next step is figuring out how to do that from my end. 
Can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, I know your whole plan was to educate students about your experience. And obviously, like, you know, COVID-19 happened. Can you talk about like how that impacted what you were planning to do? And then can you talk into more? I know you're still trying to figure out what you want to do going forward. Right. Before I forget, I just thought of that. When I finish (laughs) answering this question, I would love to ask you that question. If you were in my shoes, what would you do? Right. Because again, your business and the podcast and, you know, Renew Energy is done amazing things in the back end of solar with credits and financing. And if you were in my shoes, what would you do? So back to COVID. Yeah, it was serendipitous that I was transitioning away from my job as a solar consultant and starting to really go out on my own and build this project and start my own little company that I could educate people with solar or on solar with my vehicle hands on. That was my plan. Do seminars. I had created a spreadsheet of all the fares across America and what dates they were and we're planning (laughs) out my stops. And I was going to be calling schools. I had STEM schools listed out and hey, I'll be in Houston next week and I would love to stop by this school and this school and whoever would have me. And then COVID hits. So I'm working on finishing up the truck March and April of 2020. COVID hits. I said, well, you know, eight weeks, I can wait that out. I'll just fine tune the truck, add some extra things, finish up all of my jobs that I still had from my pipeline and business. And I waited and the summer comes and it's still in full swing. Everything shut down. Schools aren't meeting. No one's meeting at community centers. No events are happening. I mean, not even concerts. That was another cool idea. I could power a concert with my vehicle. You know, people have been trying to do that for a while, but with the amount of batteries I have, if you were to throw a party or a concert, we could do a whole solar powered concert. (laughs) That's a great idea. I didn't even think about it. That's pretty amazing. I've got some artist friends that had inquired about that. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. Like, you know, start a solar party rental setup, (laughs) you know, power here. Because honestly, the speakers in those setups, they don't have those big peak power draws either, like air conditioners. So powering for six or eight hours, lights and speakers, the truck could absolutely do it. Anyway, back to COVID, it became a challenge that I said, well, I've built this thing. I'm not going to not do the trip. And I'm going to be in the truck by myself for the most part. Anyway, my co-pilot was my dog, Ludwig. And for the first part of the journey, my dad dad came along because again, I wasn't sure if those 10 year old lithium batteries were going to, you know, I mean, honestly, I had nightmares about I'm going to wake up and the truck's going to be engulfed in flames or vandalized. Who knows? You know, all the things you can worry about. And after the first few weeks, I was like, no, this is, I'm getting into my routine. And I just worked on traveling and logging my data and coming up with ideas for what I wanted to do at the end and how I can see this growing and definitely think I want to do some seminars and talks at school. I would love to do it firsthand, but if I have to do it virtually or podcasts, that's an option right now where the door is going to be wide open because I think for a while, you know, Zoom isn't going away and virtual learning isn't going away. It's going to be bigger than ever. So again, back to my question, I didn't forget now. What would you do (laughs) if you had just finished a trip across the country using only solar power and a big old truck and then wanted to pivot that into a business? What would be your first attempts of, you know, what you would try? Yeah. So I would say I would reach out what you've been doing to all like the press that you could get about your journey. And now that it's completed, really like market it because I feel like not enough people know about your journey. This is like the first of its kind. And it's something that you should really figure out like what's the best way really to promote it and then to Mm -hmm. see what sort of response that you get from it. So that would be like the first thing that I would say. And then I agree with you, like doing stuff virtually because you can't do it in person. Like I can't even imagine if 
you're able to meet these people, you know, the STEM schools or going to events and things like that, like how much of a response you would have gotten, like an opportunity, yeah. because I think people would gravitate towards it. And then obviously your information's on the truck, you know, right. people could easily reach out to you. And I think what you're doing is like great, like doing videos and really like tracking your journey. And I think people could learn a lot. You should also look at potentially like being an influencer. I know mm-hmm. it sounds like you enjoy doing like public speaking. So, you know, looking into like speaking engagements as well, your expertise of selling solar, both commercial, industrial and residential, right. even though it's difficult during COVID. It's not like face to face meetings, but I still think like those sales skills are still like, you know. Exactly. Now, that was one of my initial business ideas that I said, hey, I can monetize this while I'm doing it by meeting with solar companies and talking with their sales staff and seeing if we can't do some training on the success I've had and what is your market like and even just doing some social media collaboration. But being that it was the peak of COVID, I mean, I can recall in California calling over a dozen solar companies and emailing them and not hearing back because they weren't working from the office. They didn't have appointments. Everything was slow. You know, they were basically furloughed, most of them. And I, I met with one or two, but to that point, you know, the feedback back of the people I did come across. I mean, occasionally I'd be charging somewhere, whether it be a truck stop or a parking lot, and someone would drive up and say, what is this? I see solar panels. I looked at and I got basically a 100% positive response, you know, from people that I stopped with and talked to and a few different solar companies that I did manage to meet up with. So I think that, you know, a lot of people do once they see it and we chat about it a bit, they see the future, they understand that solar and vehicles and electric vehicles, you know, really, I mean, I can't believe I thought I would have pushback when I talked to some someone who is, let's say, more of a senior citizen and them saying, oh, that's solar, that's for those kids and hippies. But no, no, it's I had in the southern states and in Texas, especially in some of the smaller communities, just an amazing number of people saying, this is really cool. Tell me more about this. I want to look into this. And yeah, it really just kept me motivated. Yeah, that's awesome. And what about too, like going to socially distance events that are right. outdoor, you know, that could help as well. You know, and obviously some states like Florida, you know, there's not really the same restrictions as other states. So potentially like that could be an opportunity. Even like you have NFL or college football now at full capacity. Right. I think they're allowing the right. state of Florida, like literally coming to like the parking lot or tailgating exactly. area. Exactly. I'll have to do some numbers. Maybe I can power the stadium lights for a game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know that things are big and very bright, but I'll have to see the full wattage that we would need. Maybe we could just do a a couple in the parking lot or something. Oh, you know what you could do is like have people charge their phones for free. Uh, Yeah. And then you basically could educate them. Like that's kind of the way of like attracting them to come. I mean, people will come anyway just by seeing the truck. You definitely should check out like the Waken Solar, you know, social media. Obviously, people could tell it's a solar powered truck. Yeah. From looking. Yeah, I charged a couple EVs along the way, complete strangers that I met that said, this is so cool. I said, you want to charge? If they were in an electric vehicle, I I said, pull it on up here. I'll plug you in for a while. (laughs) Uh, That's another, you know, kind of back to the way I built it. There are two ways to do a solar vehicle. And the first way, which is the way that I believe the first generation of mass produced solar vehicles will be done, is just going to be integrated and charge the battery pack, just like a regenerative braking system does. But if you have a second battery pack, or maybe you partition off part of the batteries to then be a, you know, an outlet system as well to plug your phone into, you know, because most people can use their cigarette lighter and they're charging with the DC that the car always has, but potentially power 
powering external devices like an air conditioner even, the solar could charge battery one and battery two is the drive battery. And that's how I built Griff was that all the batteries that I put inside the truck, the solar gets stored in those first. And then I can use that power for anything. I have 240 volts to, you know, to charge EVs. Mm -hmm. And then I can charge my EV batteries from those batteries. From those batteries, yeah. Correct. And so it's less efficient, but it creates a lot more flexibility. I know you said that you're mostly like a sales background. You have like participated in some like installations in the mm-hmm. past with solar companies that you worked before. What gave you the confidence to install the batteries as well right. as the solar panels? Like I said, I had nightmares. <laughs> so my confidence was low in the beginning. I had confidence in my math. I knew that my math worked because I had seen my customers get the power that I had promised them, get the kilowatts and then have the financial offset on their power bill. Their solar pays for itself. My background being, you know, coming up small farming, small town USA, my dad built everything. You do it yourself. I had built whole barns, fixed farm equipment, welded and done all of this sort of hands-on stuff as a kid and a teenager. And while I became more attracted to computers and math and then sales because I was good at the math, I still had that background. So that gave me the confidence that I knew I could build it, you know, and and I was going to over-engineer it so that I didn't have panels blowing off like the poor Root Del Sol guys had when they hit Mexico at a windstorm. I built this thing like a tank and it literally drives like a tank. So it's a Frankenstein solar vehicle. That's what I call it. But it's the first of its kind and it can do everything. I mean, even if I never drive it around and just leave it parked in my driveway, you know, I can plug my entire house to it day and night and be off grid with it. And that's a really cool thing for a lot of people, especially, you know, these uncertain times. I mean, I hate that we keep coming back to that because I like to stay really positive. Sure. But, you know, COVID had this big effect. But one of the things that I was able to say, well, wait a minute, this can be a positive because, you know, you couldn't get toilet paper. And so what if the power went out and because of all the craziness and there was, you know, looting or fires, the power stayed out. If you have one of these vehicles, you know, my family is going to have a refrigerator full of cold food. They're going to be able to run their air conditioner, charge mm-hmm. their phones, you know, have anything they need. And if they have an electric vehicle, charge it. And that's the independence and ability for for solar to give you that resiliency and that confidence in having power always, you know, because the sun's going to come up tomorrow. That was a big motivating factor. But yeah, the confidence in the beginning, I was not sure this was going to work, to be quite honest. (laughs) But it did. And here we are. And now I can say, no, I thought it would work and it did. So... You've never thought about like potentially maybe even creating these trucks and selling it. I have. Again, that's kind of a business proposition because I met a gentleman in Oregon who helped me with those wings, the awnings, the the wing, you know, why it's called Project Griffin, like a mythical winged lion eagle mix, you know, and so it's because it's this new mix of technologies. I thought it was a perfect name. And the wings, the automation to just press a button and have them fold out. He helped me build, but his expertise was 10 years ago, he built a golf cart and put a solar panel, you know, over the roof and charged it. And then now he builds little scooters and he started building bigger van type vehicles that completely are capable of solar charging. He built one for, uh, I don't know how much you know about the pop band LMFAO and Redfoo, one of the members. He built a VW van, an old conversion, like converted an old VW to electric. And then all the solar panels, he basically has three layers of solar panels. He did it a little different. He didn't do wings from the side. He has layers on the top that fold out. Okay. Yeah, he's doing that as a business. And I would love to, you know, be able to offer his products as a, you know, consultant for him and go through the basics with people if they were interested. If they want the ultimate zombie apocalypse, Mad Max vehicle, (laughs) future proof, then we can do that. And it doesn't cost as much as people think because this isn't some, you know, huge corporate entity trying to make lots of money. We literally just have to fund our overhead of making it and the labor. And, you know, he has to pay his bills for his shop and that's it. So I, I think the cost, you know, I don't, 
don't want to quote anything off the top of my head, people could do this and it would be competitive with like an Evan. You know, you could even have one of these. Let's say if you ran a solar company that did installations, you know, you mainly had trips of less than 100 miles. This could be your installation vehicle. And what a cool talking point that is. And then, yeah, if you're a prepper, you're set. That's pretty cool. And I think, you know, there's so many opportunities that you, I guess, have to figure out on which ones you want to focus. Yeah, it's like throwing spaghetti at the wall. I'm going to see what sticks over the next (laughs) few months. I'm going to take a little, you know, vacation here. I reach Florida. And what do you do when you complete something amazing or you win the Super Bowl, let's say, go to Disney World. So literally this weekend, I'll be going to Disney World. My family's here. I'll be getting the truck next week and the week after back to Boise using a normal truck because I'm not going to try to drive it through the winter. Even though you could, it would take you even longer. So I'm going to use it as kind of start to try to do some fundraising, try to hone my speaking skills, hone my internet content skills. I'll get much better at videos and making consistently good content. I hope. I don't think it's that hard, but it definitely is a lot more work than I anticipated. So editing and you know those YouTube people out there, people like to hate on them, but and your <laughs> podcast is a testament to this too. The amount of work, I told you that when we first chatted, yes. you have these quotes, you have a breakdown, you have it listed across multiple platforms and you edit it and make it as a quality, quality product. So people check out the Solar Maverick podcast if you just listen to this one to learn about Project Griffin. But yeah, the work that goes into that, kudos to you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And video editing is just in another level. That's why I stay away from video because really everything's moving towards video. So, right. Well, it is and it isn't, I think. I think there's still a huge market, especially these longer format ones. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to do an hour of content, I think audio is the better medium. I think a lot of people do consume it on, you know, YouTube and do video, but literally they're seeing, like, I'll do this. I'll play something from YouTube, a podcast, but I won't watch it. You know, I'll even minimize the window. So I'm just hearing the audio. And then with Spotify, coming online and really pushing the podcasting platform of their business model. I think we're going to see it stay a mixed bag. But yeah, video is it's so much harder. It's a different level that it's, you know, I'm trying to do both, but I don't think I have succeeded yet. But this is the thing, you're putting yourself out there. You're getting better with your content. I know you're editing the videos a lot more and that's what it's all about. We spoke about this before. Mm-hmm. The hardest part is really to get started and you've done that. So, you know, everyone Absolutely. should check out Awaken Solar, YouTube and Instagram. Yeah, thank you. I actually, I chatted with a gentleman just this morning who started following me on social and he's been very supportive. And I told him, I was like, you've been helping motivate me. He's like, can we chat? And so we had a quick phone call and we were talking about exactly what we're talking about of where do I go from here? And he thought that focusing on STEM schools and schools and even universities is going to create, let's say a team or a little army of people willing to work or even volunteer to help with this kind of stuff. So if you're a college student, an 18 or 20 year old, or you know, however old you are, and you've got some video editing skills, hit me up. Up. Go to Wicked Solar. We can, <laughs> if we can start making some money, you know, I'm willing to pay you. But in the beginning, you can learn what I don't know about making good video content. Yeah. And actually, you mentioned another great point. One thing, what you're doing, like creating content, obviously, I'm creating content as well. It's great to hear from the listeners or people who listen to that content because creating content is like a lonely journey. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to make it sound sad. You're going to discourage people from doing this. But no, the great thing, though, is like I hear so much feedback, positive feedback from listeners that it really, you know, gets me more excited. Other than being passionate about the medium, Uh, the topic and then podcasting, but like having people who listen to the podcast reach out and, you know, be positive about it. It definitely helps. 
yeah, I'm sure you've gotten opportunities from, you know, sticking with it as long as you've been doing it. How long have you been doing your podcast? Oh, it's almost been two years. Yeah, and... you've got quite a few episodes. I'm not going to lie and say I'm your number one fan. I've listened to all of them, but I've listened to a few. <laughs> and, and you've got great quality content that a lot of people don't know about. And as you're saying that, you know, it's lonely doing it. But one of the things that is really cool when you're smaller, like I am and haven't been doing it as long, you definitely engage with every fan. You know, when someone posts a comment, I get excited. And then if they post another one, you know, we can actually talk and their feedback, you know, I hear their feedback and listen to it versus someone who's got a million followers. You know, they may look at comments, but there's going to be so many that you can never really talk to that creator. You know, while you're small, if you're going into this world, it's a really cool perk getting these relationships that you never thought you would have both professionally and just, you know, someone who likes what you're saying and, oh, then they ask questions and so that gives me more ideas. Yeah, definitely. That's so true. I mean, that's a great point as well. And I think as well, like person consuming the content, if they enjoy it, you know, they enjoy having that discourse with you as well, you know, because they feel like that they have a connection or they know you from listening to your content. Right. Yeah, we've covered quite a bit. I did want to talk about one of the last things we had chatted on before was just, you know, goals of trying to help a million people go solar. And that's not necessarily just me personally, but inspiring. I want to clarify that. (laughs) I want to have inspired a million people to go solar, whether it be saying we want a solar powered vehicle or we want our next electric vehicle to be able to charge itself or we want to look at it on our home or business, you know, and I can help with like my day job services there. But my goal is to kind of get to the point where, you know, that million follower mark of like, I've been doing this long enough that enough people see all the cool things. And I've got some great ideas, I think, for following up Project Griffin and next summer, what I'll be doing. So stay tuned. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like if you continue doing what you're doing, and I believe like as an influencer in the industry, I think you could easily make that happen, especially the next 10 years. I think we're going to see a lot more solar and a lot more people who are advocating and doing unique things in the industry. I mean, Project Griffin's amazing. Congratulations. I can't imagine, you you know, how much work. Yeah, it was blood, sweat and tears. Yeah, but (laughs) literally all three. Yeah. And congrats on completing that journey and sharing your story here on the podcast. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. And I can't wait to see the cool innovations that we haven't even thought of. One person I remember on social media asked about, well, yeah, but what about skyscrapers, right? And I'm like, actually, I read an article last year about solar (laughs) glass where you have, you know, skyscrapers, office buildings, you want tinted glass. And if that tint is a thin layer of silica that blocks some sunlight and makes power, I'm like, yeah, think about that. You have a 20 story building that the glass is all solar. The potential is there. It's endless. I mean, it's crazy because we're talking about a few years away, like just like basic stuff. But the future is like what you're talking about. Solar roadways, curtains, paint, all these things where you could, you know, Yeah, let's be clear. A lot of those things, some of those are not going to work. I've researched all of them and (laughs) I think they could work in certain applications, but by and large, the way our infrastructure is built, you know, I was chatting with a truck driver and he came up to me and said, wow, this is cool. He's driven truck for 20 years. And he was saying that, you know, what would be so easy is to have either the railroads themselves or another lane that you could put truckers on, like in, let's say, San Francisco, like the trolley system that's electric. You could electrify a lane and have, you know, all this solar or just feeding in this one large, let's say, really popular loop. And we could start to build infrastructure that way that powered the transportation of these large vehicles while they traveled versus having to even have batteries in them. I said, wow, yeah, that's something to think about. And so all of the possibilities of, you know, what the Jetson future looks like, it's really cool to think about. If people wanted to learn more about Project Griffin or you, Joshua, what's like the best way for them to Yeah, the best way is just to follow me on either YouTube or Facebook, Instagram as well. But my website is probably the best way if you're 
serious about you know scheduling a consultation or chatting with me on the phone, awakensolar.com or awakensolar on all of those social media platforms. And again, the Solar Maverick podcast, if anyone's in the solar industry or wants to learn more, it's very likely there's an episode in there. So browse through your Rolodex of things that you've covered because even over the past few months with this pandemic, I know you've been doing a lot of work and a lot of interviews. So yeah, I look forward to listening to more on my next drive. I look forward to checking out your videos. I've been enjoying them and learning a lot from it. So thank you again. I appreciate awakensolar.com. Thank you, Josh. Yep. Thank you, Benoit. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U energy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangin and Kevin Y. Brown.